Here we go. <laughs> As we venture into the murky waters of everything you've been told never to bring up at holiday dinner, you'll meet a guy, someone you can trust, a battle-tested, common-sense leader who knows that an extra pair of dry socks just might save your life. That wise old sage has arrived, and he is shouting the Schmidt Show battle cry. Schmidt heads unite! <laughs> Good morning. Is that? I think that's what you call a a premature broadcast. I, I, don't, I don't know what you would call that. Good morning, technically, because we are doing this live. We're here uh, in the. I guess we're going to just call it the Schmidt Show Studio for now because it's not really the Schmidt Show Studio, but we don't have anything else to call it. We're here. If you want to name the Schmidt Show Studio and you have a couple million dollars you want to drop, just send me an email. It's uh, just, well, just go to the contact page at, at theschmidtshow.com and drop me an email with your with your Bitcoin wallet and and the 13 keywords and uh, we, we can empty that out for you and then we'll name it after you, whatever you want to do with it. So... Good morning. 1-866-766-1766. That's a bit of a tongue twister, but that's the phone number. 1-866-766-1776. If you want to join the Schmidt Show, you can call us there. There's all kinds of ways. You can go to our our, uh, chat room, uh, which is just jblive.tv. We're working on another chat room that is going to be specific to the Schmidt Show as we move away from uh, the the Jupiter Broadcasting stuff and Unfilter and and more into the Schmidt Show. We're going to be moving into our own chat room, and it's uh, Noah tells me that you just have to join hashtag Schmidthead on IRC, and we'll be switching that chat room starting with episode four. Uh, so all kinds of ways to uh, get a hold of us. We're on Telegram. You can go to the Telegram uh, the Schmidt Show Telegram group. There's all kinds of ways to chat with us there. Uh, should be a lot of fun. So we're going to be talking essentially uh, this week. We're going to be talking about free speech. There is a lot in the news recently um, about all of this free speech stuff, and there is some, I, I think, some confusion as to what it really means to engage in free speech and what it really means to have your free speech suppressed. There's all been all kinds of talk about, you know, Alex Jones being banned on Twitter and just last night or the night before, whatever it was, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, came out and said, yeah, of course we're biased to the left. We lean to the left. No question about it. And, and to be totally honest, that's his prerogative. If he wants to be biased to the left, that's fine. He can do that. If I want to be biased to the right, I can do that. If you want to be biased to the the center or the top, the bottom, or whatever other area that you want to be biased in, you can do that. That is completely and totally your prerogative with no, um, no ramifications to that at all, other than whatever personal consequences you endure for choosing a side. And, and the honest-to-God truth is, whether you like it or not, everything you say, offensive or not, has consequences. Every every word that comes out of your mouth is going to have some sort of of personal consequences. But there, the the ramifications from a from a government standpoint is that there should be note that keyword should there should not be any 
There is no reason at all for the government to hinder your free speech unless it specifically and or intentionally hinders someone else's right to speak. This is, this is often referred to as the heckler's veto. It is, it is inappropriate, and I'm not even really sure that it's illegal, but it's certainly inappropriate to just shout somebody down to keep them from talking. And, and one could probably make an argument that you using your right to free speech to shout me down or vice versa could maybe be a violation uh, of your First Amendment rights, but I have a hard time believing uh, that any court case or any attorney is ever going to take that, that case up. The other, the other part of it is if the government were to use its heckler's veto to prevent you from uh, – exhibiting your right to free speech or exercising, sorry, exercising your right to free speech. Now, what that would look like is I do a terrestrial radio show uh, three day, five days a week, three hours a day. And if you want to hear that, if you want to hear more of what I've got to say, you can go to our Facebook page, or I'm sorry, our website for the company that I work for. It's just knoxradio.com. It's knoxradio.com. And I'm on from three to six central time. You can tune in live streaming there as well. But uh, what that would look like, the government using its quote-unquote heckler's veto to prevent anyone from exercising their right to free speech is if they went through and simply said, we're going to take over all of the radio frequencies, every broadcast station, every tower, every not just every tower, but every opportunity to broadcast, and just started broadcasting a single message the United States government is awesome and you should bow down and worship us on a loop for the next, you know, thousands and thousands of hours or days or years or weeks or whatever. That would essentially be the federal government using the heckler's veto to to keep us or anyone else from exercising their right to free speech. Now, that's somewhat of a silly analogy and and even maybe a bit of a of a of a childish analogy, but that's that's where the the federal government would be able to do some of this stuff and get into this heckler's veto stuff. So all of that to say, free speech. What is free speech? Who can suppress your free speech? And who can essentially give you or or allow you to exercise your right to free speech? I would argue that no one has the right to allow you to exercise your free speech. That right, in, in my belief, is an unalienable right. That is not something that the government grants you. As a human being, you are gifted, in, in my belief personally, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a former pastor, my personal belief is that you have been gifted the right to free speech from the creator of the universe. You, you, nobody, the government doesn't give it to you. That is a God given inalienable right. No one can take that from you except by force. And then only if you allow them by refusing to fight back or, or whatever, but that is an unalienable right. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody has the, the, the right to remove it from you. And the other side or the other interesting part of an unalienable right is that you can't give it up. Like it, it is it is not something that goes away simply because you choose not to exercise that free right. You have an unalienable right to to say whatever you want to say. And and you can't give it up and nobody can take it from you. 
Now, when it comes to free speech and the, the government's role in free speech, it's fairly obvious, I think, to most people. But the truth is the, 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 the right to free speech is not secured by the government. The right to free speech is, is supposed to be, again, supposed to be is the, is the key phrase there. It is supposed to be protected by the government. It, it is the government's job to make sure that you have equal opportunity to express your right or to exercise your right to free speech. Now, equal opportunity, text, or, uh, uh, in the chat room, somebody says, depending on where you live. Right, of course. I'm talking about, I'm, I'm originating, of course, from the United States, so that's, that's my frame of reference. If you live in other countries, that may be different. And and there's no question about that. But the 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 United States, the way we approach things, the way our constitution is written, the way our legal system works is the the right to free speech is a God given, unalienable right, and it is the government's job to protect your opportunity or equal opportunity to exercise that right. Now, when when you are exercising that right to free speech, when you are the one that is exercising your right to free speech, you have certain responsibilities. We we've determined over the years through court cases and and legal precedent and things like that, the old cliche of you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because it puts people at risk and and there's certain things that you just can't say, and there are legitimate restrictions to the the right to free speech. Now, I mean, this is true of any of our rights. You know, we we have the right to freedom of religion, but what I don't have the right to do is to sacrifice blonde virgins on a on an altar to Satan in the town square. That is not an acceptable uh, exercise of my right to freedom of religion. And so there are pretty much, it, it, it doesn't really matter, pretty much any of our God-given unalienable rights, there are some common sense um, limitations. And I, I don't like using the word limitations when you start talking about freedoms and liberty, but there are some common sense uh, things that we know that are just inappropriate as we exercise that right to free speech. If you want to jump in here, feel free. Uh, as I want to keep mentioning this because this is new for me. I'm used to doing this on the on terrestrial radio, so we t- we do things a little bit differently. If you want to join the show, you can do that one seven six six, or I'm sorry, one eight six six seven six six seventeen seventy six. You can call in and share your thoughts as well. Uh, there's a couple of ways to do that. Like I said, we're I've already got some some discussion going on in the chat room, and I'm not the best at at doing. Uh, a whole lot of multitasking. So if I if I don't see something on the chat room that I don't respond to, um, please don't be offended. It's just because I'm not very good at at multitasking. Anyway, so back to back to free speech. So the 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 rational or logical limitations, and like I said, I don't like using that word, but there's just not really much better word in English. There are some rational. Um, Levels of appropriateness, we'll say it that way. Levels of appropriateness as it relates to free speech and, and any of our God-given rights. So that's it's just basically uh, the, the way you have to look at it. There, there are things that 
you just you you can say them. You probably shouldn't. There are a lot of things that because I'm on the internet, there's no FCC regulation as to the the language that I can use. I, I could go on and and just go on for the next five minutes on a on a tirade of of expletives and you know racial uh, slurs and and all that sort of thing. I can do that. It's legal to do that. It's just not appropriate, and most likely, I would lose any. Uh, semblance of ever doing another podcast ever again, because um, rightly so, I would hopefully be shunned by you know the general public for for inappropriately exercising my right to free speech. So those those things are all things that have to to be taken into consideration. Now, with all of this being said about free speech, as it relates to news and what's going on in our world today, there there's a lot of discussion lately. You're hearing about this all over the internet, and this is important for me as I'm launching this brand new adventure called the the Schmidt Show podcast. There is a there's a new discussion or seemingly new discussion that has been coming up very recently about Facebook and Twitter and the shadow banning and YouTube pulling conservative content and and all of these other social media platforms getting in there and saying, well, if you say these things, if you espouse this policy, if you believe that there is only one gender and there is not a, a myriad of genders that you can just kind of be and and identify whatever you want. And if you say that, then then we're going to pull your content. If you say that you disagree with homosexual marriage, if you say that you disagree with this, that, or the other thing, we're going to pull your your content from our platforms. And and people immediately begin shouting, free speech, free speech, you're violating my free speech. Well, the truth is, it's Facebook's platform. And, and I think we have to be careful. For me, as a conservative, I have to be careful saying, hey, you can't stop me from saying that. You can't stop me from, from posting on your social media platform. You know, Jack Dorsey can't tell me that I can't be allowed to be on Twitter. And, and Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg can't tell me that I can't be on Facebook. And, and Google can't tell me that YouTube is, is, is not the place for me. That's, it's my right to free speech. Well, yes, it is your right to free speech to say whatever you want and to espouse whatever beliefs you want. But what you don't have to have the right to do is to force guys like Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and and what's the Schmidt guy at Google? I can't remember his first name, but you can't you can't force them to to exercise your right to free speech for you. Now, it sucks. It's it it's seemingly unfair. That, that Facebook and Twitter and, and Google and, and all these other companies, it's seemingly unfair that they get to tell you that you can't post your stuff on their platform because, you know, the Young Turks and CNN and MSNBC and Vox and, and all of these others on the other side of the political aisle – they get to say what they want to say on those platforms. And there's even a Facebook page called White Genocide something or another that's advocating for the genocide of, of white people, which is, in my opinion, pretty inappropriate. You know, advocating for the murder of an entire racial group seems, uh, seems to me to be an inappropriate. And I would even, I would even suggest borderline illegal. 
um, because you're inciting riot, you know, essentially. And so, but what we've got to be careful from of doing is simply telling Facebook and you know Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and these guys that saying it, you have to allow these people to be on your platform and say all the things that they want to say on their platform. Now, where this is an issue or, or where this becomes a problem is if we start forcing Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and Google and and all these other platforms to air our stuff, well, then they start get to decide, start getting to decide what is posted on, what is shared on the Schmidt Show podcast. I don't want Jack Dorsey telling me what I have to talk about on the Schmidt Show podcast any more than I want to tell Jack Dorsey what I'm allowed to say on his platform. And, and so as a, as, a, as a conservative who genuinely believes in free speech, this is a very important issue for me. If Jack Dorsey doesn't want me on his platform, that's his right. He he has every right to tell me, hey, I don't like what you say. And because I own Twitter, and of course, Twitter's a, a publicly traded company and all that kind of stuff. So it gets a little bit different, but you get the point. If Jack Dorsey doesn't want to hear what I have to say on his platform, he has every right to tell me, you know what? I, I you can't have an account on Twitter. I don't like you, and so I don't want you on my platform. It's really that simple. Now, like I said, again, it gets to it gets to be a little bit murkier with with publicly traded companies and and end user license agreements and terms of services and things that you agree to when you get on these platforms and and you sign up for an account for Twitter and Facebook. All of I mean, so I'm 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 kind of generalizing here, but when we start talking about Jack Dorsey and Twitter banning Alex Jones. Hey, if Alex Jones violated the the Twitter user agreement, well, then Jack Dorsey has every right to tell him he can't be on Twitter anymore. And the reason they can do that is because they signed a contract and Alex Jones violated the contract. Now, where Alex Jones and uh, Stephen, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, David Crowder, or Steven Crowder, I always mix those two up because David Crowder is one of my favorite musicians and Steven Crowder is one of my favorite YouTube and pundit guys. But anyway, uh, Steven Crowder, where, where these guys had a lawsuit, because I believe Steven Crowder actually sued Google or sued, yeah, sued Google and YouTube and, and won some things and whatnot. Where they have a problem is that the, the end user license agreement is not being applied equally. That's where Jack Dorsey and, and Zuckerberg and these guys are, are running afoul of all these. But those are not free speech issues. Those are contract issues. Those are legal binding contract type issues. So that's, that's where this kind of, of discussion really needs to be going. This isn't about free speech because you have the right to free speech and say whatever you want. But what you don't have the right to do is to force Twitter – Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, I mean, pick a, a platform. What you don't have a right to do is to force them to, to help you or help you engage in the, the act of uh, exercising your right to free speech. So that has to be, as you hear all of these news stories about Facebook and Twitter and the banning of Alex Jones and, and the banning of uh, Prager University, and, and tell me, I... I love I love some of those Prager U videos. They're 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 very well done. They're interesting. 
you can get a lot of information in just a few minutes about any kind of particular topic that you're looking for. Those are really good videos, and, and I think they're information that people should have, even if you disagree with them. I, I think it's information people should have because it's it's very well done, very well researched. But those videos are being banned and the user engagement is being limited by Facebook for whatever reason. Now, they have every right to do that. Facebook has Nobody gets to tell Facebook what to do with their platform except what is in the contract. And that's where it becomes an issue. And that's where these arguments need to go. We need to move away from this argument about free speech, free speech, free speech, because it is free speech. But just like Facebook and Twitter and and YouTube and all these can tell me and the Schmidt Show podcast that we can't be on their platform, I get to tell them they're not on my platform if I want. Now, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, those guys probably aren't going to want to to be on the Schmidt Show podcast. They're they're not knocking down my door and and blowing up my phone to get on the Schmidt Show podcast. But if they did and I didn't want them on there, I have every right to say it's I don't want to talk to you. I don't want your voice being heard. One of the comments on the on the uh, on the chat room says you might compare this to the printing press only being available by rent, and the people owning the press are pro monarchy in the Catholic Church, and will stop anyone from printing stuff that can criticizes it. Yeah, I, I mean, if it's my printing press, I have the right to tell you you can't rent it, right? In uh, the continued comment, this is from Chris. He says. Uh, in my opinion, they should be clear and consistent about what their terms are and actually apply them in a non-political way if they claim to be impartial. Now, that exactly. That's exactly right. That's And that's the point that I'm making. Where Alex Jones and where Steven Crowder and some of these other um, pundits and things that have been banned from these various platforms and have had issues with their content being pulled from these various platforms, that's exactly why – and, and the reason they had a case and the reason some of them won these cases is because there is not a, there is not a clear and consistent way in which the, their, their, um, their terms have been applied. Stephen Crowder, I believe the argument essentially that he made is that, hey, our content had this, 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 and this in it. The other content, whether it was from Young Turks or, or whoever else, Vox or, or Salon or whoever – their content had this, 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 and this also, and you didn't pull their content or pull their content. So the implication is, and the assumption can is, and the assertion that can be made is that that you are not evenly and equally applying the criteria of your platform to all users. And that's the problem. That's the legal issue that needs to be addressed. It's not a it's not a free speech issue. That is not something that that the government needs to step in and say to Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or whoever, you have to allow their speech to be spoken. It, that's, that is the key. And, and that's the thing that I'll fight to the death because I don't ever want Facebook or YouTube or Google or anybody else telling me what I can and cannot broadcast. On my terrestrial radio show, I don't want them telling me what I can talk about on my podcast. If I want to come on and for an hour straight, you know, just string a, a, a 
a list of expletives and racial slurs and and misogynistic whatever. If I want to do that, I should have every right to do that. Now, if I did that, I should be, as I said earlier, and rightly so, you know, chased out of the public square by the by the guys with pitchforks and and torches, because that would be, in my opinion, an inappropriate use of my right to to free speech. So all of that is probably way more information than anybody wanted on this and and maybe more rambling than, than should have. And I'm, I'm hoping as the podcast thing goes on, I'll figure this whole thing out, but I've got a, I've got several articles and things that I've been looking at about uh, how this, this concept of free speech is being, um, looked at or is being dealt with in the public forum. I saw an article just recently um, that I thought was just recent anyway about how young people in our culture today, in our world today, are more and more accepting of and okay with the shutting down of the right to free speech because they see it or they view it as hate speech. Um, the article I, th- I thought, like I said, w- I thought was new, but this is an article that was actually done about a year ago. Uh, it was a, a study that was done, a survey done by a guy named John Villasenor. Uh, Villa, Villa, I think that's how you pronounce it. could be Villasenor. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It could be a, a Latino name. I don't know. Um, he's a Brookings Institution senior fellow and he's a University of California at Los Angeles professor. So he was beginning to have some concerns about what he quoted or what he said is, quote, the narrowing window of permissible topics as it relates to discussion on college campuses. So he went out and did a survey. He surveyed 1,500 undergrad students at four-year colleges. And he decided to try to figure out what, people believe about free speech and he found that a very very small minority of people believe that hate speech is actually constitutionally protected and and I shouldn't say a very very small minority it was a we'll just say a, a minority that that misrepresents some of the data and I don't I want to be careful about that and being honest and and up front. So a small minority of people believe that hate speech is actually constitutionally protected. Well, the truth is, whether you like it or not, doesn't matter in the, in the grand scheme of things as it relates to legality or constitution. If, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not constitutionally protected. And I think that's what, what as I read through the data and tried to kind of extrapolate as much as I could from the information, that even if you don't like it, it doesn't mean it's not constitutionally protected because you don't get to decide what is constitutionally protected or not. I don't get to decide what is constitutionally protected that they found that Democrats are more likely to agree with shouting over and, and using the heckler's veto. Um, so, so speakers can't be heard. Um, 62% of Democrats said that they think that's acceptable behavior. Now that kind of, that kind of bothers me because that to me is, that's not, that's not um, 
that's not adult debate and discussion. That's just childishness, right? I mean, that's 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 the that's the adult equivalent of sticking your fingers in your ears and 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 repeating louder and louder over and over. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. That's that's what that's what they sixty two percent of these fifteen hundred undergrad students who were Democrat. That's that's what they said. That it's okay to stick your fingers in your ears and just shout, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, over and over again. Uh, One in five respondents say, and this is a bit concerning, one in five, it's only 20%, but about one in five said that it's okay to use violence to disrupt a controversial speaker. That, that, That bothers me. Because I can guarantee you at some point I'm going to be a controversial speaker. In fact, even in just in the four years I've been doing a, a terrestrial radio show, I have been a controversial speaker. I have said things that have been controversial. I've had people call into my show and, and yell at me and shout at me and, and call me all kinds of names because they disagree with me because of some controversial thing that I've said. And I, I guarantee you as this podcast goes on, I will say controversial things. I, I, I absolutely, it just will. And and you're going to not like some of the things that I've got to say. And I would encourage you, if you don't like the things that I've got to say, give me a call if you're listening to it live, if you're listening to the live stream. Give me a call, 1-866-766-1776, and, and tell me why. Join on the chat room. Send me an email. You can go to theschmidtshow.com. There's a contact page in there. Send me an email. Tell me what you disagree with. We'll have a rational debate. I may even call you. And invite you on as a guest to have the debate about the, the, the discussion. Because that is a, an adult and intelligent and intellectual way to, to deal with an issue. And it's about the only way we can move forward. It's about the only way we can move forward and, and figure out how to deal with whatever the issue is. Whether it's free speech or Second Amendment or whatever it is. Um, the other, one of the other interesting things that, that came up in this study was that I believe it was 39%. Uh, well, that wasn't the number here. It is. Anyway, I can't find it off the top of my head. I'll have to look it up. I'll put a link to the article, to the, to the, uh, the data from here in the, in the show notes and, and share that with you. But, the, there, there was a, a fair number of people who just simply said that, that the, the, the right to free speech shouldn't be a right. The, there should be a, either a board of, of you know, I don't, this isn't in the data. I'm just, I mean, they just believe that, that there should be, you know, some government institution or something that would decide that if it's okay for you to say whatever the things that you want to say are. So that's that's where we're at with free speech in this country. There are actually people beginning to have the discussion. Hey, uh, I don't know. Maybe that, that old archaic First Amendment right that was written in, 19, or in 1776 should be, should be done away with. We don't need the right to free speech anymore. People have been irresponsible with their right to free speech, so we need to take it away from them and, and, and only allow them to have what we believe to be acceptable. And that is a supremely, supremely dangerous place 
to be. So that's my thoughts on free speech and the news of the day as it relates to, and you're going to see this a lot over the next couple of weeks. Of course, Alex Jones is really good at self-promotion, so he's going to make sure as many people in the, in the, the country can hear his thoughts as he possibly can, and he's going to do everything he can to make it look like Twitter and Facebook and, and all of these places are you know the, the personification of evil, and, and they might be, but at the same time, I, I want to be very careful for me. I don't want to tell Zuckerberg and Dorsey or anybody else what they can or cannot have on their platform and what they must or must not have on their platform because I don't want them to tell me what I have on my platform. So that's it for, for free speech. But just pay attention to that and keep that in mind as you hear these discussions over the next weeks and months of, of shadow banning and fake news and, and you know the, the, the conservative culling on social media and all that kind of stuff. Seriously, stop complaining about it. Do something about it. If you don't like the way Facebook has their platform and, and telling who they can have on there, start your own. Start your own platform. The internet is, I mean, as 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 wide open as the internet is, anybody can start their own platform. It doesn't take a whole lot to get started. And once you get started, if you've got a great product that people want to be a part of, you'll be able to make billions of billions of dollars at it, and you'll be able to decide whatever you want to decide about it. So stop complaining about it and do something about it. That's the that's that's my one of my kind of mottos if you will stop complaining and do something about it that's the that's the schmidt heads unite uh thought process we i talked about this in episode zero we we heard about a tragic situation in houston the listeners of of my radio station and we decided to do something about it we ended up hauling two semi loads of bottled water down to the salvation army in in texas so Stop complaining and do something about it. Another part of the show today, a little bit, uh, we're going to kind of change gears here. I've got an interview that I did with one of the most hotly contested uh, Senate races in the entire country right now. It happens to be right in my backyard. Text or, uh, a comment on the chat room says, this has been tried. Alternative platform platforms usually don't work out. No, I agree. They usually don't, but it's usually because they're crap. Right, I, I'm as a as a seriously, and I'm not arguing with you. Just it's usually because they're crap. As a as a Christian, one of the things that came up a while back was YouTube was very popular, but on YouTube was a lot of garbage that 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 a lot of your your you know kind of fundamentalist Christian folks said, ah, this is this is garbage. You shouldn't be on on YouTube. It's bad for your brain, and you're going to destroy your faith and blah blah blah. So what they did is they started GodTube, right? And GodTube, you know, fine. I, I like the idea. I like the concept. But it was crap. It was a crap platform. It was it was mostly videos that weren't interesting or useful. Um, it was usually, you know, cat videos and videos talking about, you know, seeing the the Virgin Mary in the clouds. It was it was just it was garbage. So put something out that's better. That's that's the key. I mean, everybody complains about Microsoft and complains about Apple and complains about whatever. So put out something that's better. If you don't like their product, put out something that's better. If you don't like Walmart, put out a, you know start a store that's better than Walmart. That's the thing. It's usually a, just garbage. And and so that's just 
for me, I, I see this. It's a one thing that just absolutely kills me as a as a Christian myself. It's one thing that kills me is we don't do anything creative as Christians. We just find somebody else that's being successful and we start some crappy version of whatever is being successful. We saw this with Netflix. There's another one now. There's a there's a Christian version of Netflix. I don't even know what it's called. I haven't even looked at it. A couple of people told me it's pretty good, but my guess is it's not going to be as good as Netflix. It just probably isn't. This this is this is what happens all the time. We we put out a just a crappier version of what's already out there. So make it unique, make it better, and I think people will flock to it. Because if it's good, whether you like it or not, capitalism works. It's it, it well, capitalism works every single time. Capitalism always works. And and when the world falls apart and and chaos sets in, capitalism works. If I have what you want and you have what I want, we can work out a trade to make sure that we both have what we want. That that's this is this is the it's true of the internet, it's true of real life, it's true of everything. And and so I just look I, it's not easy. It's it would be very difficult to create a platform to get out on on the internet and try to compete with Facebook. It's not going to be easy. There's no question about it. Mark Zuckerberg has billions of dollars he can spend in development and all kinds of stuff. Amazon, good luck trying to compete with them. It's possible because before Amazon existed, there wasn't Amazon. So the next thing that comes along will be able to if if it's if it's unique and and useful and and quality, they'll be able to compete. They're, Alibaba, I believe, is actually bigger than Amazon as far as as far as um, accessibility or or not, they don't do it by inventory with a, with a site like that. But I believe Alibaba actually does more business than Amazon. But nobody talks about Alibaba. They just quietly go about their deal doing their thing. Now, some of it's because nobody talks about it here in the United States because it's just not popular here, but it's popular all over the world. It's the same with sports, right? Here in the United States, we think American football is the biggest thing in the world. It's not. It's not even like in the top 20. I don't know what the... It, I've looked this up before. It's a, it's a, it's like in the top, maybe in the top 20 for most popular sports in the country, in the world. Formula One. I'm a huge Formula One fan. Nobody in my friend group watches Formula One. I'm the only one. But it's also like the third most popular sport in the entire world. So it, it's it, some of its perspective as well. So anyway, uh, another comment on the uh, on the chat room. Creating a website on the Internet, an infrastructure started by the government, funded by the people, is not exactly an analogous to buying land and building a shop without any government funding. No, I agree. You're right. I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't disagree with that. But the, the, the point being... Is the, or the point that I'm trying to make is simply that if you don't like what someone else is doing, do it better. Now that I'm not saying it's easy, I'm not saying it happens overnight, but that's the answer. That that like it or not, that's the answer. If you don't like what somebody else is doing, do it better and make money off of it because you can. <laughs> text message or uh, um, chat room says I'm just providing devil's advocate case here because that's a bit lacking. I do actually agree with you. <laughs> well, no, and I appreciate that because that that is that and that's that's always going to be the danger in 
in these sorts of, of environments. There's always going to be somewhat of an echo chamber. And that's one of the things that I do genuinely try to do. And you'll, you'll notice this from me on, on the, as the podcast goes on is if you want to debate with me, if you want to argue with me, if you want to disagree with me, I will actually give you more time to, to argue with me than I will give someone that's going to call me in, call in and give me a pat on the back because I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be an echo chamber. I don't want to just have me shouting about what I believe and telling you what you're supposed to believe. I like doing that, and you'll get a lot of that from me. But what makes it so much more fun and so much more interesting is when, when people engage in the show, engage in the experience, and share their thoughts and say, hey, here's what I believe, and you're a moron for believing what you believe. And then we get to yell at each other and, and fight and argue and, and come to a conclusion that, of course you're wrong because I'm the host and I'm always right. So you can <laughs> you can do that if you want to call into the show. Uh, just to keep reminding people of this, the number is eight six six seven six six seventeen seventy six, and uh, we will we will uh, have that discussion. We do need to move on though. I want to I want to get to this interview. I've got an interview with Congressman Kevin Kramer. He is the sitting congressman in North Dakota. We have a one single at large um, at large. Uh, uh, district in North Dakota, and he is now running for the Senate seat that is currently held by Heidi Heitkamp. And Kevin, um, this is this is probably one of the most hotly contested races in the country. It's one of the it's assumed to be one of the closest races in the country, and one of the most important because it literally could determine the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. This single race could ba- determine the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. And uh, I'm lucky enough to have it happening in my backyard, and I have somewhat of a prior relationship with Congressman Kramer because I've interviewed him before and things like that. So um, let's move into that, and uh, we'll we'll probably wrap up the show following. So Kevin Kramer on the Schmidt Show. Kevin, thanks for joining me, and and I guess let me start with a with the question of you know North Dakota's been irrelevant as it relates to to national politics for a long time but now here are we here we are all of a sudden in the middle of probably one of the most significant races in the entire senate i, I mean am i misstating that or overstating that no brad you're, you're not and, and thanks for the opportunity by the way to be, be honest with you no you're not overstating it at all i mean carl rove says that all the time uh the you know senator mcconnell the majority leader says it all the time um, you know, if you read the, the national regs, they'll uh, they'll quote a lot of people in, in, in politics and in the swamp that will say that this is the number one race in the country for flipping a seat from Democratic to Republican, and uh, and that's just for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is uh, you know we we have a couple of 100 percent name ID candidates running against each other. Uh, the fact that Senator Heitkamp and I were elected on the very same day by the very same people. And just uh, just under six years ago, makes it an, a unique. Um, the fact that North Dakota is a is a Republican state, trending more Republican, and Senator Heitkamp is the only Democrat state elected to statewide office in North Dakota by by far. Um, you know, it, it sort of adds all adds up. And then you have on top of that the fact that North Dakota is a inexpensive state for a campaign. Of this magnitude for a Senate race, uh, even though it's a senator, a se- one one hundredth of the United States Senate uh, uh, in a Senate that is very narrowly divided by party along party lines, and so 
it really does it really does um you know just adds up if you will to a to a prime race and uh and why not but you you make an interesting observation i think up front Brad, when you said that it's not a um you know, North Dakota has been largely irrelevant on the national political scene for a long time. And it's sort of fun to finally not be fought over country anymore. And yeah. Have a president that's visited a couple of times and a vice president and, you know, cabinet secretary. So um, it's kind of nice to be able to put North Dakota on the, on the stage under the bright spotlight. Well, and, and Congressman, your your relationship with with President Trump, and and I, I guess not that you know I don't want to make it out that you're best buddies and you're you're hanging out every other night and and going out for for coffee every other morning, but I mean your relationship with with President Trump has in in some part, if not a large part, made that a reality, has it not? Well, it's certainly a big part of it. Um, there's no question that the president. Influence on my getting in the race made a difference, although um, I did decline, as you know, initially. In fact, the first time the president talked to me about it was December 5th of 2016, that mm. was before he was even sworn into office. And uh, he talked to me about, you know, did I want to be a cabinet member or would I rather be a senator? And I told him, no, I want to do what you want me to do and whatever is most helpful to you in your agenda. And uh, the next day, December 6th of 2016, Mitch McConnell talked to me about it. He wanted <laughs> me to announce that day. <laughs> I, I thought, well, really, you know, I'm not even necessarily inclined to do it, but um, I know for sure I'm not going to announce soon because, you know, these campaigns are too long anyway. But when it came down to it, after I said no, and, and you know, after a lot of thought and prayer went into it, Chris and I decided that this wasn't in our family's best interest and my best interest and that there were other people that could run and win. And uh, and I could continue to serve North Dakota in the House of Representatives. Uh, and, you know, it, they, the leadership and the president called back, and the president made it very clear that. Um, well, to quote him, he said, "You disappointed me when you said no before. Please don't disappoint me again." And then, <laughs> then he said, uh, "Think more about your country and less about yourself." And at that point, I didn't know whether to cry or laugh. Yeah. And so hey. I just sort of chuckled, thinking, "My God, I've just been spanked by the president of the United States. So I, <laughs> I, I should maybe, maybe think seriously about what he's uh, what he's suggesting." And then, uh, and then he, uh, then what happened is, one North Dakota got on the phone and said, "Hey, we can't have this not just a pro-choice or pro-abortion senator, but somebody who's so crass as to high-five mm. humor on the floor of the House of Representatives that the vote to." Um, to vote to to repeal late term abortions was going down, and uh, that was just sort of the that was the final straw for me. That that became it became an obligation mm. when I said here from North Dakota, yeah. you know, we can't let this stand. You know, Congressman Kramer, I've been I've been very vocal about my frustration with President Trump at times, and and I've even been honest on the air and and said, you know, in the in the last election cycle that I didn't vote for you because I I kind of wanted you to be more. Uh, conservative, but over the last couple of years and and having some recent interactions with your staff, I have absolutely been won over a, a thousand percent to uh, to Kevin Kramer and and your run for the Senate, and even even President Trump has has won me over on on a lot of levels. You mentioned some of the things that he said to you on a personal level. The one that really stood out to me, he said, you know, think less more about your country and less about yourself. Whether you agree with President Trump's uh, policies or not, he really does love this country, doesn't he? Well, I'm glad you said that because it's a it's an observation that more and more people are seeing, 
because you can again question his you can question his tactics his strategies you can question his philosophy or disagree with it if you want um, you know for some he's not conservative enough for others he's way too conservative he is certainly a new brand of conservatism with, with more of a uh, populist um, you know slant to it obviously but you cannot question I don't believe his, his the integrity of his patriotism and and what motivates him because this is, this is a guy that doesn't need to be president of the United States there's not a lot in it for him um, you know he, he's made quite a sacrifice to be president of the United States and he does love the country. I, just a, a fun little story. Um, when I when I was first thinking about supporting Donald Trump, and that would have been like in January, February of 2016, long mm-hmm. before it was cool. Right. <laughs> I could see the trend happening, and we, you know, I was starting to talk to more and more North Dakotans. And I, I called the guy. I called Gary Theraldson, who a lot of North Dakotans know. He's built yep. most hotels, and he built the most hotels in, in, in the country, and largest hotel owner in the country, successful business guy. But Gary did a, um, you know, had worked with Donald Trump on a project that they ended up not doing, but it was a large uh, resort project in in um, Las Vegas. So I thought I'm going to call Gary because he knows him. I've never met Donald Trump, and I wanted to know a little bit more about the guy's heart. And one of the things that Gary told me at that time, he said, "Kevin, uh, you can, um, you know, you may or may not agree with what." he's going to do or what he says he's going to do or what he does do, but you never have to wonder whether he loves the country because he'll always do what he believes to be in the best interest of the country. And that's a pretty good endorsement, if you ask me, you know, um, and that, that really helped win me over. Yeah, it, and and you know the thing, Kevin, that 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 I, should, I apologize, Congressman Kramer, I, you deserve the respect of of, of I that. Like, I like Kevin. <laughs> you know, and that's one of the things that that won me over to to you. And I I voted for you originally in the in back in when you ran the first time, and 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 just kind of finding my feet, I guess, as a conservative in the state of North Dakota and really beginning, uh, getting more involved. I've always been passionate about politics, but I'd never really been involved in it. And and so now one of the things that really impressed me about you and, and what's really brought me on board with the with the Kramer train, if that's the way to say it, is, is I had some recent interactions with your staff and it became very, very apparent to me that the leadership that you provide to your staff is such that you genuinely want to do what's best for the state of North Dakota and for your constituents, whether or not it, it's it's somebody that voted for you or not. And and that is impressive to me. And I guess the question that I have in that is, do you plan on bringing this, some of your staff with you to the Senate side when you win? Because I'm convinced you will win. But are you going to bring some of your staff with you? And are you going to... Because as a senator, it gets a little bit harder to be that connected to to the constituency, isn't it? Boy, you are really on it tonight. Um, th- this is a concern I've had about the Senate for a long time. You know, the history of the Senate is a rich history, like it is of all of our, you know, our, our institutions and the three co-equal branches of government. The fact that um, you know that the, the founders decided ultimately to have a bicameral legislative chamber when originally they, they didn't. They thought they'd have a unicameral. They just couldn't decide it. what it would look like, whether it be the House of Lords or the House of Commons, whether it be a, a Senate or a House. And when they created the Senate, they originally had the Senate, of course, elected by, not by the people, but by the state legislatures. And the, 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 the six-year term was there to provide some room for them to be statesmen and look out for what's good for the country 
more so than than necessarily directly the people. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they were accountable to another legislative body, and that is their state legislatures. And so that was the accountability structure that the founders built into it. Well, when the 17th Amendment passed and the Senate went to being elected directly by the people but still had their six-year terms, to me that began a process of, of what originally was called deliberation and mm-hmm. lately, more lately turned into laziness. And they've, this disconnect to speak of, I think, is very profound. And that, frankly, I will tell you, I believe that it's why Heidi Heitkamp is struggling to be heard and to be listened to and to be convincing in this campaign against me because she spent five and a half years completely disconnected from North Dakota. And she didn't do the constituency outreach that you're speaking of. She didn't do you know, she didn't do the town halls and the talk radio and all the things that I've been doing for six years because she wasn't compelled to by the six-year term. Uh, so to get to your question, um, I fully intend to, not, to, to bring the very same People's House work ethic that I've, uh, you know, that I've taken on in the House over to the Senate. And I know they sleep in later, and I know they eat in China <laughs> instead of Chick-fil-A over there. But I, I just don't want to go be bored. Yeah. I want to stay connected. I have the very same constituency now that, that, either, that both of our senators have. And, um, and, you know, and as a senator, I think you have a lot more time, quite honestly. You do more hearings because you're on more committees. But, you know, it's not like you take a lot of heavy lifts over there. Right. Um, I think using the, the increased influence of the Senate and applying the increased connectivity of the House could make for a one very, very powerful Senate seat. Um, and and you're, if you're got, you've got your constituents in mind every single day and you wake up thinking, not only what can I do for the country today, what can I do to change you know, policy, but at the same time you know, commanding my staff and making sure that they understand what's also important are those constituents back home, whether it's a veterans' benefits or Social Security benefits or immigration policy or somebody's, you know, somebody's visa. Um, you know, these are important issues, and we have a great opportunity and a great blessing to be able to deliver that. And you have even more of that as a senator because you have three times the staff and three times the budget. So one of the things, uh, Congressman, that, that has, is uh, exciting for me, if you will, it, as it relates to, to this race specifically, is that you are going to bring, um, I think, a different perspective to to the Senate. You One of the things that you've done uh, over the last, for those that aren't maybe from North Dakota that are listening, um, one of the things that you've done is you've done these talk radio town halls. You're on, what, four different radio stations every single week for an hour per show um, in the state of North Dakota talking to the people and to the constituency of, of that, that you represent, but you're, you, you've already said that you want to continue that. You plan on bringing that, that along with you to the Senate. I've actually heard stories from other people around the country that say their congressmen, their representatives are having to do these sorts of things because of what you started. And they're going, Kevin Kramer is, is shaking things up over in the House, and I think that's a good thing. Are you hearing any of that as well, or are the guys coming to you and saying, hey, knock it off, you're making more work for me? <laughs> well, it's interesting because a lot of people have different perceptions of it. Um, but yes, more members are doing exactly that, doing the talk radio town hall thing. My friend Greg Gianforte, right next door, he's a freshman member, of course, from from uh, Montana. And Greg, when he heard about it, he, he asked me a lot about it. How does it work? You know, I said, well, you know, I've got, you know, I do four different shows. A couple of them are 
pretty big stations. One of them is at multiple stations statewide. And I don't, I only take phone calls and I don't let the, uh, I don't let the host screen the calls. So people can ask anything they want. And, and, um, and then sometimes, you know, we have boats or we have something else that goes on. I try to do these shows even when I'm in boats, uh, walk in and out of the chamber into the cloakroom. It becomes a little bit of a play-by-play or a sideline reporting. Itself. Yeah. Um, and it's all part of the, it's all part of the connectivity. It, it brings people into my world as well as me staying connected to their world. And um, so Greg Forte said, well, I, I'm going to see if I can do that. Now he does, he does one show an hour a week at Talk Radio Town Hall on 21 stations across oh, the wow. state of Montana. Now, North Dakota, as I always say, is a small state, but it's, it's a large congressional district. Montana is a really big state and a really big congressional yeah. district. So those 21 stations serve him and his constituents very well. Um, but there are others who say, you know, what do you pay for that? And I say, well, I don't pay for it. I, I uh, my payment is, you know, I I'm just make myself available. They have some decent programming, and their listeners have access to their congressmen. But, um, so, you know, everybody's views it differently, depending on what kind of a market they're in. Of course, you know, we, we're pretty fortunate in North Dakota to already feel an intimacy with our with our constituents. But uh, we're a good radio market, if you will, I think, in North Dakota. Yeah, and and coming back to somewhat of a of a national stage, and and just for the interest of full disclosure, uh, Congressman, you are actually on our station. I do a three hour terrestrial radio show on. 1310 X in, in Grand Forks, and and so you're not on with me, but you're on with one of our other hosts, uh, you know, just so, you know, I'm not, you know, pretending anything isn't, uh, that I didn't have some pr- uh, sure. prior relationship with you here. So, uh, so Congressman, one of the things that, that I think is, is interesting, kind of coming back to the national stage, is we are facing in this country... Some have even suggested on the verge of of civil war. I think that might be a bit harsh. I don't think we're quite there yet, at least certainly not a a bloody civil war like we saw in the 1860s. But are you seeing that divide in Washington as badly as we're seeing it? Or is, you know, MSNBC and Fox News and CNN, are they kind of overhyping that that divide? Well, I think it's a little overhyped, particularly in Washington, while there's certainly you know, there's certainly a pull from the from the extremes of both parties that's probably more prevalent out in the out in the country than it is in Washington. There's still a civility and a decorum in both the House and the Senate. Um, the relationships might not be as good as they used to be, but I think one of the things that's a little bit frustrating for a lot of us, some of my best friends in Congress are are um, Democrats, and one of my closest praying partners is a Democrat and uh, a member of the Congressional Black Caucus, from uh, from Georgia, and when we get together and we're doing things and we're passing things, you know, even the Defense Authorization Act, which we passed, you know, in a huge bipartisan, bicameral way, it just doesn't get much coverage. It's not sexy. It's not what right. the producers and directors, and you know, so I think there's a certain amount of that hype that creates the hype itself and, and, and perpetuates, you know, the, the drama a bit. Now, that said, there's no question there's some divisions. I think some of that, some of that began with, you know, President Obama came in and he, he promised us hope and change and, and, um, and he inserted race so quickly into mm. the, the political genre at a time when we were making such good progress. Clearly, we still have issues and as right. a country, we're still a young country, but we've come an awfully long ways. 
but he kept inserting race as some sort of a dividing factor as opposed to a uniting one. Mm. And then along came Donald Trump, and people were so angry that he won. First of all, it was so unexpected. Right. And then they were so angry that they'd taken it to a whole new level. And, and the discourse has become very uncivil. And there are some people in Congress that just can't help themselves. And uh, particularly the House, which is a re- very raucous place. Um, it's designed that way. It's part of what I like about it, frankly. Um, but there's been a, a, a lack of civility, I think, in recent years that's, that's unfortunate. I hope we can restore it. And I sense that we can. I believe that we can. Um, you know, pe- we're going to have to get a little distance from the Trump election, I think, for some people to start accepting the reality of it. And, and the other thing is, people are more and more are liking the outcomes of this administration. They, mm. they may not like his philosophy, and they may not like his, his, his manners or his, his rhetoric, but it's hard to argue when your paycheck's bigger. Yeah, you know, it sure and, is. Uh, and you're feeling more secure and more safe, right? Yeah. Right? So um, I, I think that hopefully we'll see some of that return of that civility. So one last question here real quick, and I know you're busy and got things to do. Um, first of all, Mitch McConnell has said uh, that that uh, he wants to get Brett Kavanaugh confirmed before, I think he said he wants it done before October. Yeah. Um, there's a real possibility with all of the, the, the weird things that go on in the Senate and the way the, the Democrats have been fighting this kind of stuff. Do you think there's any chance that you'll be a part of that confirmation vote? I don't. I actually think he'll be confirmed before the election, and I think Senator Heitkamp will vote for him. In fact, I'm downright confident of it. Yeah. <laughs> she'll announce her, her support for him before it's too late to matter, because if she doesn't, then she's going to look all a little sillier. Um, he's an excellent judge. He's got a great record on, on many, many cases important to North Dakota, particularly relative to the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, um, states' rights, uh, you know, pro-life. Uh, everything that he stands for is exactly what North Dakotans want and need. And some of his, his, his writing, some of his opinions, both on the minority positions and, and, and majority, are very compelling, and, and they're right down the center of North Dakota. Uh, the, the other thing I would, I would add before we, we wrap up uh, about this administration, and, and uh, that is that we are, not, we talked earlier at the beginning, you know, being in the national spotlight, we are no longer flyover country, and, you know, I just, yesterday was with um, in Bismarck and up in coal mines and some power plants with the Secretary of Energy, Rick Terry. I just announced mm. today that next week I'll be in Fargo with the Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross, and the Deputy Secretary of Agriculture, Stephen Sensky, as we meet with farmers and manufacturers and distributors and talk about the trade issues and how they affect us and the tariffs and how they affect our economy here in North Dakota. A couple of weeks ago, as you know, the Secretary of Homeland Security was in Grand Forks and the Secretary... Um, the Secretary of uh, Agriculture was in the state a few weeks ago, or a couple of months ago at least. Um, it's just it's, it, the Secretary of uh, the Secretary of Transportation, Wayne Chow, was in Bismarck last week, and uh, as I said, the President's been here a couple times. The Vice President's been here three times, and that's not all about me. I mean, I was right. with Secretary Nielsen in Grand Forks. Next week, the Secretary of the, the uh, Air Force will be in Grand Forks talking about UAVs at the UAV Summit. Right. And I'll be on a panel with her or a roundtable with her after each of us give our respective speeches. And this is because North Dakota, two reasons. One, North Dakota is no longer viable country. We are a major contributor to our nation's security, our nation's economy, our nation's food supply, our nation's energy supply, and we're getting noticed. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is we have an administration that's connected to people. And this president and this administration 
He's interested in what real people have to say. That's why he does so many rallies. He's, mm. he's the most accessible president since Abraham Lincoln. And I'm just honored to be able to be a, you know, a friend and an ally, and not on every single thing, right. um, for sure, but... Um, all in all, his agenda has been darn good for North Dakota. That reminded me of one other thing. My my uh, my friend is Dave Hughes is running for Congress in CD seven in Minnesota, just across the river from us, mm-hmm. and a very close race with a twenty eight year yeah. incumbent. Is there any other races, Kevin? Yours is of course against Senator Heitkamp is huge in the spotlight, and and I believe that's going to end with you being Senator Kramer and and as opposed to Congressman Kramer. But is there any other races across the country that you're going? Hey, this is one we should be watching. Come election night in November? Yeah, so I think Rick Scott, Governor Scott of, of uh, Florida's race against Senator Nelson. Mm. Governor Scott, of course, the Republican Senator Nelson, the incumbent Democrat. And Governor, Nel- Governor Scott is, first of all, personally wealthy, and he's spending a lot of his own wealth, and that's always oh, makes fundraising easier, um, particularly in an expensive state. But Bill Nelson is somebody who's got almost no identity in the United States Senate. He's done pretty much nothing, and is pretty well known for doing nothing to the degree he's known at all. Uh, Governor Scott is one of the most active and personable and connected governors in, in our country, and I think that's going to be a good one to watch. Um, certainly in uh, Indiana, Mike Braun, a businessman, successful businessman, who beat two of my colleagues in the Republican primary, mm. running against Joe Donnelly, uh, sleeping Joe Donnelly as uh, the president likes to put him. <laughs> that's going to be a very close one, important one to watch as well. And there's, there's a couple of others where the president, states where the president did very well, um, but uh, uh, there's no question that, that we're living in a state right now that's got the number one, the number one race in the country, and uh, you know to the degree it's helpful. I'm glad to include a lot of national media in my discussions. They've been following me around. It. You appreciate this. I had a National Journal re- reporter with me in church on Sunday. <laughs> I had a, a yesterday, uh, a political reporter was with me out at the University of Mary uh, over the weekend at my hometown uh, parade at Kindred Days. I had a Bloomberg TV reporter and the uh, and the Washington Examiner reporter in the walking the parade route with me. <laughs> so you know, for the degree get to show off North Dakota a little bit, there's there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, for the most part, it's all about the three hundred thousand or so voters right here in our own state. Well, again, Kevin, I thank you for being so generous with your time. We've actually gone over by about 10 minutes of what we originally planned, so I need to let you go. I know you're busy doing the things you've got to do, but thank you again for being so generous with your time. And and like I said, in the interest of full disclosure, um, you have absolutely won me over, and I am absolutely a thousand percent convinced that uh, Kevin Kramer is the guy we need to be the next senator from from uh, from North Dakota. So I uh, look forward to seeing how it turns out, and uh, let's do this again sometime. I appreciate it. I look forward to that. And just don't let that confidence of yours become apathy. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I am telling everybody I can and, and <laughs> talking to as many folks as I can that, that uh, you're the guy we need. Thank you. All right. Have a great day, Kevin. We'll talk with you again soon. So that is the interview with Kevin Kramer, and I had a great time talking with Kevin, and the guy is just as sharp as a tack. And one of the things that, that gives Kevin Kramer a lot of... Uh, a lot of likability in North Dakota is his accessibility. And as you heard me say in the interview, one of the things that Kevin, uh, Congressman Kramer has done is he has done a lot of work on local talk radio within the state that he represents. He spends literally an hour a week on four different radio shows. So four hours every week, just taking phone calls and, and, and answering as many questions as he possibly can. You heard him say he does not allow the, the hosts to, 
to screen the calls, and I know that to be true. As I've said, I do a terrestrial radio show. I've actually hosted that segment when I was filling in for one of our other hosts and done that t- time with Kevin. And he has, he does absolutely, he refuses to allow for screening. He takes every phone call he can possibly take as, as quickly as he can and answers the questions as thoroughly as possible. And if it's a question that he can't answer, he, he gets his staff on it. And I've recently had some personal interaction with his staff for an issue that I was dealing with with the IRS, and they, they're fantastic. Uh, and I genuinely believe that he is the guy for our state, and I believe he's also the guy for the country. So, um, you know, many of you that that aren't listening, maybe from North Dakota, you won't have a chance to vote for him. Um, but uh, you know, keep an eye on that name, Kevin Kramer. You know, I don't know if he ever has any desire to run for president. He really didn't want to run for Senate, um, but uh, he he you heard him talk about it. Reluctantly got into the to the race, but uh, you know he's. He's a, he's a guy that you're going to need to keep an eye on because he's one of the, one of the good ones. We always talk a lot about, uh, as it relates to, to Senate and Congress and, and how they're all corrupt and all that kind of thing. And, and having the, the privilege of knowing Congressman Kramer personally, um, and had several conversations with him off the air, uh, as well. He is, uh, I'm convinced that he's, he's one of the good ones and we need guys, we need more guys like him in the, in the, in Washington. So anyway, this is or has been the Schmidt Show. I have been your host, Brad Schmidt. You all have been a part of the uh, experience and we're, we've we've decided, I'm not really sure where it started. I think it started on my terrestrial show at some point. Um, a caller called in one time or something and said that they were a loyal Schmidt head. And so that has kind of taken on a life of its own. So if you are a Schmidt head, we would love to have you join the show and be a part of the experience. Um, there's all kinds of ways to do that. One of the things we're working on um, is a free node chat room. So right now we're, we, are, we are so very, very thankful uh, to the folks over at Jupiter Broadcasting to, uh, to kind of give us a plug and help us get started with all this. But we're eventually going to move away from that and uh, move into kind of our own thing. You can find us on theschmidtshow.com. Uh, you can listen to the live stream when we broadcast the show live. It'll be at 10 o'clock on Monday mornings. Um, and eventually we will move that into, um, you know, if it, if it begins to take off and, and gets a life of its own, we'll, we'll maybe move that into more, um, more than one, one show a week and we'll do it more often. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Schmidt show. You can find us on Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash Schmidt show. Um, like I said, the free node chat room, uh, it just look for Schmidt heads on the, on the free note chat room. Um, so all kinds of ways to get a hold of us and be a part of the experience of the Schmidt Ho, the Schmidt show and become a Schmidt head. We did create a Patreon. I wasn't going to really talk about this, um, because I, as a, as a dumb redneck from North Dakota, I have a hard time asking people for money and, and, all of that, but we did create a Patreon because there is some expense in all of this. And, and thank God for, for Noah from the ask Noah show, because he's helped uh, make this happen without his help. It would not happen without the help for the guys from Vox telesystems uh, or Vox telesis. They do our phones uh, and make that, that eight. And how great of a phone number is that by the way, eight, six, six, seven, six, six, 1776. Obviously that is a, a, uh, a, uh, a hint to or a reference to the founding of this great nation that in which we live. Um, and if you want to become a Schmidt head, uh, a member of the Schmidt head brigade, 
Um, you can go to Patreon and do that. I'm not going to give any details because if you want to support the show, you'll find it. You'll know how to do that. Um, but yeah, go to the schmidtshow.com. Find us there. Twitter, Facebook. I- I'm actually on Instagram now. I-, I finally posted my very, very, very first Instagram photo. I've had an Instagram account for a couple of years, had like 200 followers. I'd never posted anything there. So now there's one picture on there. So uh, check us out on Instagram as well. Uh, but hey, thanks for, for spending the time with me today. And I look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. I've got to get, oh, I've got like, oh, here. So this is the beauty of, of guys like Noah. They make this kind of thing happen for us. So this is my kind of, I don't know, which one is this? That one right there. Oh, look at I got a whole mixer board and everything, all because Noah. So, ask Noah from the Ask Noah show. Noah is uh, the dude's a genius, absolute straight up genius. He's built an entire just awesomeness. It's just I don't know how else to describe it. This rivals, and I'm not even joking. This is absolutely dead serious. This rivals my my studio at my terrestrial radio station that we just spent two million dollars on. And so it's pretty amazing. So need Schmidt head t-shirts. We are working on it. I absolutely am working on Schmidt head t-shirts. They're just going to say I'm a proud Schmidt head. So I'm out. We'll see you next week.